Gary Houdini was killed by a sucker punch. Seriously, this is history. So Harry Houdini, that famous um, uh, magician, just a huge celebrity during his day in 1910, 1920s, early part of the 19th century, he would do this activity where he would challenge anyone, no matter how big, how strong, to hit him in the stomach. And because he knew how to brace for it, how to use physics to embrace the bowl, no one could hurt him punching him in the stomach. Well, one day, I was about to go on stage, and he was getting older, and two college students came in and wanted to take up this challenge. And so um, uh, he said, yes, you can do this. And so as he was standing up and before he had opportunity to brace, one of the students punched him four times as hard as they could. And he immediately went down and he sent them away. And immediately he knew something was wrong. But, but uh, he didn't want to stop. He didn't want to stop the show. So, so he was going to go forward. A doctor came in and said, you have ruptured your appendix. You have a 102 degree temperature. But he said, no, the show must go on. So he went out and he performed the first act. And, and it was off and crazy. And afterwards, at, at halfway through his 104 temperature, he insisted on going back on. Halfway through that act, he said, close the curtain. They rushed him to the hospital, did surgery, but it was too late. By that time... Uh, he'd actually died. He died from a sucker punch. You ever been sucker punched? Talking about coping. Coping. We use that term in, co- in conversation, right? We say, I'm learning to cope. We say things like, I'm coping well. We say things like, uh, you know, I do this thing, it's helping me cope. And we say to people, you know, I don't know what I would have done. I don't know how I would have coped without your help. So let me just ask you this morning, how are you coping Some of you are going, oh boy, that's a loaded question. How are you coping? You know, when I first started doing this series, started thinking about coping, I originally thought that the word coping was a weak word. It was just kind of one of those words that you assign to people going through difficult times, say, are you coping? But the truth is, it's a much more robust word. It's an exciting word, and coping is something each of us must do every day. Consider this definition I found. I read this. It just blew me away. This is what it means to cope. It's a courageous thing to cope. It says, to deal effectively with something difficult or to face with responsibility, face responsibilities, problems, or difficulties, especially successful or in a calm and adequate manner. The word cope comes to us through the old English word that is derived from Latin, which means to receive or take a blow with a fist or to do well in a fight. And so to cope means that when life comes along and sucker punches you, hits you one time after another, you have skills, you have abilities to cope. So let me just ask you again, how are you coping? And the truth is, some of you might be saying, I'm doing pretty good. If you are, celebrate that. That's a courageous thing. Maybe say, I don't know how I'm doing coping, or I'm barely holding on. Well, let me just ask you a couple questions, see how you're coping. Who woke up this morning and got out of bed? How can you not have your hand up? I found out who's not listening to me right now. How many came to church? That's the rest of you. Thank you for participating. Jeepers. Work on this all week. No, it's all right. It's not about me. So here's the deal. That's coping. You get up. You go to work. You face things, difficulties, confusions, because there's a lot of that in life. And learning to cope is about that. There are some people out there right now, they still haven't been able to put pants on yet this morning. Well, those are the folks probably need to be here, but, but you're here. And, and so, so there's this incredible opportunity for us to ask deep questions about how we cope. See, what we're actually talking about are what we call coping skills. Different things we do to get through the day. Different things that help us. Now, there's some things I want to say about coping skills so that we can do some evaluation about how we're 
coping and what we're using to cope. First of all, you need to understand that coping skills, some of them are unconscious. That is to say, there are things we're doing to get by that we really haven't thought through, and others of them are very conscious. We're aware of them that if I don't do this, I'm just not going to do well. There's others that are intentional. That is to say, I chose this, I learned this, I implemented my life. Others are unintentional. We fell into it, we, we slipped into it, you know, we learned it from our family. Some are healthy and will sustain you and will even strengthen you to the point that you'll quit noticing them because they're just establishing your life. Others coping skills are actually destructive. They will weaken you and ultimately they will cause things to break down. So not all coping skills are good. Some are good, some are bad, some are in between. In coping skills, you also need to understand that, 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 that very often it's a matter of how much coping skill or how much you do a certain activity. Let me just give you an example. So you had a really bad week at work, stress, overwhelmed, that coworker, whatever it is. So you go home, close the drapes, get the haagen make a frozen pizza, and watch 14 episodes of something on Netflix. Now that's coping. Some see, that's my Friday night. Are you kidding me? That's what I did. That's not good. Wait, what? I like lots of matzo myself. Just Anyway, the point is, okay... The point is, is that that's not a, a healthy thing, and it's okay maybe do that every now and again, but if that's how you get by. It's the other person who's in a bad relationship, and rather than facing and coping with and dealing with it, they stop and they pick up some Jim Bean and a six-pack, and they pass out watching the news. They're not coping well. It's the person who stays up all night with a hobby or on a video game, night after night. It's, it's the person who, who spends money they don't have because they like the power and the thrill of, of acting like they have it when they don't have it. I mean, these are things we do to cope, and they may get us out of the bed in the morning, may keep us focused, and, and may keep us going on, but eventually they catch up with us and they cause us to fall apart. You see, good coping is a pattern. It's a healthy pattern of, of right relationships, of life-giving activities, meaningful service. It involves the scripture. It involves prayer. It's about healthy living and choosing those things that I am doing in my life that are going to lead to life and health and peace. You see, here's the deal about good coping and bad coping. Very often, the key to get bad coping in your life is to replace it with good coping. We're going to talk about that deeply here in a couple of weeks. Good coping and bad coping. And, and so the key very often is to replace it with something healthy, something life-giving, something that's making you better and other people better. But at first, those new coping behaviors feel hard. They feel unnatural until they start doing their work. Now, now here's the other thing I want you to really understand about coping and coping skills, is that you are going to need different kinds of coping skills at different times in your life. Because this is what I want to talk about today, this idea of being sucker-punched, is, is, is that life is going to come... And it's going to sucker punch you in such a way, listen now, that the current coping skills you have become overwhelmed and inadequate. And you're going to have to learn how to do something else, or you're either going to kind of fall apart, or, okay, um, you're going to start finding some bad things to do. And, and things that might get you through for a while, but ultimately will be destructive. And I found a great definition of a sucker punch. Listen to this. I just was so excited I got to share this with you. A sucker punch is a punch made without warning or while the recipient is distracted, allowing no time for preparation or defense on the part of the recipient. Is that describing anything ever happened to you? It's often thrown from behind. The term is generally used in situations in a way in which the punch has been delivered and considered unfair and unethical. Or, as we might say, welcome to life. 
Because there's going to be all kinds of things that happen in your life, in your relationship, in your job. Things that you thought were solid all of a sudden won't be solid. Things you thought were unchangeable change. And all of a sudden, the way you cope just falls apart. When I was young, I thought I was a master at life. Because I really didn't realize how serious life can get. I didn't realize how, how overwhelming it can get. But what makes life, things a sucker punch? One, they're unexpected. I cannot tell you over the years how many people have sat in my office and they said, I just didn't see this coming. I did not expect this. I don't know what I expected, but I didn't think this would happen. I, I just never thought I would be going through this. It's also a difficult sucker punch because they usually come at the wrong time. That is to say a time when you're, you're especially vulnerable or especially busy or, or just, just I got other things. And, and now this comes, it kind of blows everything up. It also makes a sucker punch when, when, when it hits you in a way that you are uniquely vulnerable. Because, see, all of us are vulnerable, and we're vulnerable in different ways. And that's the funny thing about it is you may be vulnerable in a way I'm not, and I'm vulnerable in ways that you're not. So let me just do it again, a little just awareness piece here, uh, a little survey. How many people, if a spider was on their leg, would jump up and freak out? Yeah, I see those hands. Okay, all right. How many of you would pick it up and pet it? Just the spiders are cool. What's wrong with you? How many people can see blood doesn't bother them? How many people want to throw up? Okay, see, this is my point. There's issues that make it hard for you that aren't hard for me and hard for you. And so this is the deal. A sucker punch uniquely hits you. So in my life, anytime, because I have some childhood stuff, you know, anytime there's a big thing of rejection, I got to manage that. That throws me back. That hurts me. That bothers me in a way, feeling this thing of rejection, okay? Another issue is my kids. When something's going on with my kids, you know, you know, that just, that throws me back. They either struggle or they mess up or they're just whatever, you know, that throws me back. And so sucker punches come in ways in which we're especially vulnerable. That's why self-awareness would be smart to understand in what areas am I vulnerable. I just understand I'm not objective when it comes to my kids. I'm just not. Neither are you. But that's another another day. So here's the other thing is they come in waves. Wouldn't it be awesome if problems came one at a time? Okay, Monday we're going to do this problem. We're going to be done. Then Tuesday we get that. Okay, good. All right, I'm going to schedule. Okay, heart attack on Thursday. Got it. Okay, that kind of thing. Doesn't work like that. What tends to happen is we have work pressure, makes us work harder, creates marriage pressure. That then creates health problems that create financial problems because you can't work because you're sick. Sickness creates finances, makes you feel isolated, fills with resentment, creates a spiritual crisis. God, where are you? Kids get in trouble, again, creates marriage pressure. That makes us vulnerable to temptations outside of our marriage, and all of a sudden we're doing things we never thought we would do just because we need to do something to cope, and we do this really stupid thing, and, 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 and it's just not good. You see, they come in waves. They come just hitting us one after another. And, and maybe the last thing, and this for, for us is something that we're maybe not aware of, but once we see it, it really helps to, to, to kind of face things, is very often getting sucker punched is just embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. That is to say, this happened to me. I, I don't want anybody to know it. And, and, and you know what? I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just embarrassed by it because everybody else, I've been on Facebook. You're all doing great. I've seen your pages on Facebook. And I've got problems. Apparently you don't, you know. And so you've got these things going on, and, and I want to try to hide it. I want to try to ignore it. I want to try to deny it. I want to try to compare it. And, and I, I just want to fix it. And when you can't fix it, and in, when it hits you big, and, and they come in waves, and all of a sudden the way you coped doesn't work anymore, you start becoming, I'm that guy. I'm supposed to be able to hold together. Because here's the deal. To cope means I'm able to take a punch. 
I'm able to, to get knocked down and to get back up. And, and there are things in this life that overwhelm that ability. And so in our life, we're going to need to learn. And, and here's one of the things I want you to understand about this. When that happens, it's actually one of the greatest opportunities in your life to grow as a person, to grow spiritually, to discover things about yourself, and more to discover how big our God is bigger than you ever imagined. Now, now this should not surprise us because there are probably about 150 verses in the Bible that warn us and even promise that we're going to go through difficult times. The one that we reference often that's probably the most common one is John 16, verse 33. I want to look at it a little closer today. He says this, just Jesus talking. So this is one of the promises Jesus gives us that we never claim, okay? He says, I have said these things to you, that you might have peace. Now, this is the night before Jesus dies, and so his disciples are about to get a sucker punch because they thought, hey, Jesus is going to ride in on a horse. We're going to get an army. We're going to conquer Rome. We're going to be in charge. It's going to be awesome. We'll be rich. It's going to be great. Then all of a sudden, Jesus dies, and he's gone. And everything they thought was going to be is not, and it just totally throws the whole world off. He said, now I've told all these things to you ahead of time so that you will have peace. Now peace is what happens when we're coping well. Peace is when, you know what, things happen, but i got a plan, I can handle it. You know, handle some things when I'm younger, i got it together now. Peace is awesome. Peace comes when there is order. Now, do you love order? Some people say, I like it wild. No, you don't. You like order. Let me give you an example. You're driving on the high one. Someone puts their blinker on, moves over in an orderly fashion. Huh, predictable. Driving on the highway, some clown zips in. Chaos. You like predictability. I like predictability. It makes peace in my life. It makes me feel in control. Or at least somebody's in control. He said, I've said these things that you might have peace even when there's chaos. There's ability to have peace when there's chaos. He said, because he says the second part, he says, in this world, you will promise, guaranteed, have tribulation. (laughs) That is to say, there will be horrible days. There will be difficult things. There will be overwhelmed promise. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody want to claim that promise? Nobody gets the tattoo that says, I will have tribulation. Yeah, no one gets that. Right? Instead, we want the peace. But here's the deal. Jesus promised you tribulation. That word tribulation is an interesting word. A better translation of it may be the word chaos. In this world, you will have chaos. You will have unbelievable times of being absolutely out of control. Times when things just will not make sense. The, 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 the wheels will come off. He, he promises it. This concept of chaos is actually a huge concept in the Bible. It starts at the very first verse, the very first story in the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created everything. But the very first thing it says, he said, the Spirit of God hovered over the water. Now, here's the deal. For a Jewish mindset, water represented chaos. Because here's the deal. Jerusalem and, and Judea is, is located in the part of the world where on one side of their country is one of the hottest deserts in the world. On the other side is the cool weather of the Mediterranean Sea. And those two environments clash together over them. So when they see water, they think storms and, and danger and, and out of control. Even consider the fact that the Israelis have never had a great navy because they get freaked out by water. So when they read, the Spirit of God hovered over the chaos, hovered over the water. It was the beginning of saying, listen, this world is chaotic, but there's a God who hovers above it. 
And even when things are out of control, there's a God who's in control. And so much of what Jesus is trying to teach us is that there's a kind of peace you can have, a way of coping, even when there's a ton of chaos in your life, because it's just a matter of time till there's chaos. What makes this thing of chaos so debilitating? Well, one, as I've said, it overwhelms your existing coping skills, right? The way you used to get by doesn't work anymore. You know, uh, it's when these times come when there's a profound loss or disappointment where something uncertain, something certain becomes uncertain. Sometimes it's when something you believed or trusted in gets challenged in a fundamental way. Sometimes it comes in a, a relationship that becomes betrayed. It could be a struggle with health or someone you love who, who maybe has to live now with a chronic health condition. It's this anxiety-ridden thing of feeling out of control. That's the second thing about this cast thing. It feels like you're losing control. And when you feel like you're losing control, blood pressure goes up, heart goes up. Some of you, your heart is pounding fast just because I'm talking about it. Because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you feel like, i got to work harder. And it affects every part of your life when you feel like you're losing control. It changes how you eat. Some eat less, some of us eat more. And and when, when we're stressed out, right? It affects how you sleep. And when sleep gets messed up, everything gets messed up. It interacts how you, how you have relationships. Maybe your thing is to withdraw. Maybe your thing is to get angry. Maybe your thing is try to control everybody and everything. And so, and so, so when you feel like control, you get out of control. You, you maybe get to the point actually where you start having these things called panic attacks. You know, this thing where all of a sudden you're just driving and you're, you're thinking you may be having a heart attack. Your heart's pounding. And you just feel just like you got to escape. And you go to the doctor and they put you on the machines and they test it and said, you don't have anything. Your heart's great. It must be a panic attack. And I, I remember what happened to me once. And I said, God, Jesus, doctor, please let it be a heart attack because I don't want to have a panic attack. How embarrassing is that? I'm supposed to be the person who has it all together. And I don't. What the heck? And you start evaluating all the things in your life feel like you're losing control. It undermines your confidence in yourself. Because when you're young and you think you're Teflon, I can handle anything. And then all of a sudden life happens and oh my gosh, now you know, it's, it's, it's the way of coping now is new and unfamiliar and I don't know how to do it. I used to know how to do life and now life is kind of hard. And, and, and the other thing about being in chaos is, is I don't know if you've noticed this, everything slows down. That is to say, everything is just a little harder. It takes more time to respond. You, you have to recognize your thinking is not as sharp. You have to recognize making decisions is harder. Even responding to people is a more difficult thing. Often people talk about brain fog, and, and when, when life happens and sleep patterns get off, it can just make everything just feel like you're walking through molasses. The, the thing about, about this chaos is it's a season in your life, let me just, just share this, where, where you have to think more intentionally about how you're coping. So when you recognize this is going on, rather than denying it or pushing it out or shaming it in your life, because there are some serious things that happen in life that will stop anybody in their tracks. When that starts happening, you take a step back and say, okay, how am I going to cope with this? Okay, who am I going to get help from? What resources am I going to bring to the table? Okay, so unlike Houdini, you don't let the show just go on. You recognize something's got to change. Now, there's one more thing I want to say about this thing of coping. I want you to understand this, is that when you've been coping pretty well, and then all of a sudden life happens in a way where all that gets blown up, it is actually one of the greatest gifts God will ever give you. Now, now, some of you just want to push that away, and so that sounds like the kind of thing a pastor would say, but it actually is one of the clearest things that is taught in the Bible. Because in the midst of coping, you find yourself at a crossroads when that gets blown up. 
You can either start down a path of grinding unhealthy coping that ultimately lead you to a place where you're falling apart, and you're isolated, and you're alone, and you're unhappy, or you can start developing behaviors and patterns. You can start interacting with God through prayer and scriptures in a way that actually transforms your experience. So listen now, God will become more real than he's ever become before. Because I don't know about your life, but God is most real in my life when there's chaos. I am most just seeking God when, when things are just out of control. And, and not only that, you will learn a lot about God, but listen, you will learn a lot about yourself. One of the things you will learn is you're tougher than you think you are. And you're able to do more in Christ than you ever thought before. Because the Bible says several things about it. You know what it says? It says you're a victor. It says you're more than conquer. It says you're an overcomer. It says in Christ, I can do all things. And so the Bible tells us that God allows chaos in our life, chaos in our life to develop this thing called character. Character is tested faith. It shows that we can take a punch. And when we're young, we get some, some minor punches, and then we get through then, and that allows us to then, when we hit some real serious older punches, say, I can handle this because I've handled this, and I've been tested, and I can handle more of life. And then you become this incredible gift to those around you because you're the person who, although you're going through difficult times, you still cope well. And, and that peace that you have found even in the midst of chaos, you can bring it to other people. You become something awesome for God and for God's people. Hello to all you who are watching online. I want to let you know that at this part in the message that you're listening to, we had a couple come up and we did an interview with them. Now, here's the deal. This couple works in a part of the world where there are actually some pretty profound security risks. Um, They're a Christian couple working in country. And because of that, we can't share that interview online. But I want to let you know the heart of what they shared was simply this that they face incredible pressures, tribulation, chaos in their world, working in a communist country where it's against the law to share their faith. And this last year has been especially intense for them, even having some interactions with, you know, the police, the secret police, and all that kind of stuff. But what they shared is that there were really three big things that helped them to cope. One was just taking care of themselves and taking care of each other. Uh, they're, they're runners, and they've got a great family, and their kids are just awesome. But they really work hard at keeping themselves healthy. Second thing they say is this this radical commitment to stay committed to the Lord uh, day in and day out. And the third big thing they said is that they just have a group of people who they have surrounded themselves with that they do life with. And they said many other things, but these are the big things that they shared about how they cope. Wish you could, we could share you this interview, but this is just one of those rare occasions where you just kind of have to be here live uh, to hear that. Um, but the point is, is that this is a couple that just is courageously facing the chaos this world can create by learning how uh, to cope um, by understanding that God is their strength even in times when they feel really weak. You know, what an incredible challenge to be in a situation like that. We take so much for granted here where we live. We live in a place where we don't even think about going to church. When you think about the freedoms that we have, it's a pretty amazing thing. So one of the things we do, obviously, is come to church because we need it. We come to worship. We need to cope. And over the couple, last couple, next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking deeply at this issue of coping. I'm going to be challenging you to evaluate how you're coping and, and go through this process of understanding, first of all, that you know what? There's a higher purpose to your struggle. When God brings chaos, he has a higher purpose. Consider for a minute Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. He says this, he says, not only this, but we rejoice in our chaos, in our tribulations, in our suffering, 
knowing that suffering teaches us how to take a punch, how to endure. And that endurance is a tested kind of faith that produces character. And character produces hope that, you know what? I'm going to get through this. It's impossible to live without hope. That's what despair is. That's what depression is. It's the loss of hope. And going through difficult times shows us who God is, shows us who we are, and it teaches us how to hope. He says, and that hope does not put us to shame. We will not be embarrassed. We will get through it. And it'll be a beautiful thing because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he has given us. And so next we're going to talk deeply about understanding the higher purpose in times of chaos. Week after that, we're going to talk about what it looks like to establish a health pattern in your life. Because here's the deal. Good coping is not about one making one big decision, not doing one big flashy thing. It's about setting the right kinds of behaviors in your life. It's about a right kind of thinking you put in your life. It's about the right kind of relationships in your life. We're going to challenge you on the last week about that to look honestly at the people who are in your life. Because here's the deal. If you've got toxic people in your life, and they fill your life, you got unsafe people in your life, if you got people who are doing unhealthy coping mechanisms and you do those with them, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do, the most healthy thing you can do, is change your friends. And sometimes that's a hard thing to say, but sometimes that's actually what we needed. And then we're going to challenge you to have a plan. We're going to show you that in those times when life gets overwhelmed, we're being tempted to do something foolish, God provides a way of escape. But the best way to get out of a bad situation is have a plan before you get in that bad situation. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. So you want to be here. You want to invite some folks here because God's going to change some lives. He's going to teach us how to cope better, to move from this place of, you know what? I just live full of anxiety and fear and the chaos to I found a place of living in that peace Jesus talked about because God hovers above the chaos and when I'm with him, he brings me up through the power of the Spirit, through the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to learn all kinds of things about prayer. It's going to be a very awesome, awesome journey. Now, I want to end our time with a, with a season of worship beautifully, wonderfully around this wonderful thing of communion because here's the deal. If there's anyone who has shown us the example of being able to take a blow, it's Jesus, right? Because Jesus got a whole lot of garbage, right? So he came into this chaos. He was hovering above it. And if I would have been, I would have said, oh, I think I'll stay up here. They are a mess down there. But he didn't do that. He stepped into our chaos and he coped. He, he faced rejection, denial. They slandered him. They said horrible things about him. He was just incredibly bold, incredibly courageous. His family rejected him. His, his disciples denied they knew him. One sold him out for a bag full of money. This was a guy who understand what it means to get a sucker punch, to get something that wasn't fair, that wasn't right. And in the midst of that, he rose above it, and he lived in this place of peace, this place with his father. Listen now, where he knew who he was, and he knew who his father was. Because when we know who we are, and we know who our father was, we rise above. We're able to cope in a way that is most profound. And, and he did it so well that, that he, he was willing then to bring peace to us, right? So, so he came, and, and he picked up the cross, and with that cross, he picked up our sins, and he went up a hill, and once again, unfair, unjust, nailed to that cross with our sins. He and our sins came down, were put in a tomb, And then he came out of that tomb, resurrected, leaving our sins behind. So when we put our faith and trust in him, 
we are given forgiveness for our sins. And so we come to this thing of communion. On the night before he died, when again, his disciples are going to get a giant sucker punch, they did not see it coming, totally unexpected for them. He said, I'm going to give you something so you can remember me. And and this is us in our belief as a symbolic remembrance of what happened on the cross. He said, you know, when you take this simple bread, it's just a reminder that my body, I really lived, I really walked among you, and I was beaten, and I was suffering. I know what your pain is. When you have this body, just understand that I feel what you feel. Do this in remembrance of me. And then you take that cup, and, and you just drink the juice. And the juice says, remember that he poured out his life. His life was poured out that we might have life. And so it's a symbolic remembering of that. So, so here's the deal. A lot of you are maybe visiting us. We're here at Jacob's Well. I just want to let you know that we have what's called open communion here. We don't actually have a lot of rules about communion. So here's the deal. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to come to communion. If you really believe that he really lived, he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, and you put your faith and trust not in what you do, but what he did for you on the cross, and you are a follower of Jesus, you are a Christian, well, we would welcome you to come to communion. So how it works around here is our ushers are going to come. They're going to dismiss you by row. If you have a gluten allergy, you said, I wish I could take communion. Well, good news, you can. There's a gluten-free table over here, and we are very careful in our preparation of that. We know some of you have severe allergies. You can come and you can have communion in the most wonderful way at this place. But as you're having communion, come in a spirit of, Lord Jesus, the one thing I know I need to cope is you. And I need my relationship with you to be be fresh. I need my relationship to be real. And so just help me to remember you. I, I remember that you suffered too, and you're showing me a better way. And so, so, so as you take communion, remember who Christ is and let that renew just your faith. I want to, I want to invite the ushers to come forward and go ahead and prepare communion. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And then after that, uh, the team is going to lead us in a time of worship as we have communion together. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, on the night before your son died, he said to his disciples, take heart, I've overcome the world. And he was very real, he was very honest, he didn't sugarcoat it. He told us that in this life there's going to be some chaos. There's going to be some things that make us feel out of control. And Father, right now I just know in a room this big, there are some people right now who are living just on the edge. They may be coping, but they feel like they're just barely coping. Right now, in Jesus' name, I pray your spirit will come to them. And you will remind them who you are, first and foremost. That you are the God who hovers above the chaos. You are the one who who is actually in control. And so no matter what's going on in their life, whether it be a relationship, our work, whether it be a sickness, whether it be multiple things, I pray in Jesus' name, they remember the God who hovers above the chaos. They remember that he is a good God. He's so good that he proved his love by sending his son. And then when we put our faith and trust in him, we are forgiven We are cared. We are part of his family. And he agrees that although, he he promises that although there'll be tribulations, he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are my beloved. So as we take communion today, remind us of these things. Remind us of who Jesus is. Remind us of who you are, Father. Remind us of who we are in you. And Lord Jesus, just help us just to renew our trust in you and bring us that peace that your son said we could have. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.